Good morning. I hope you are having a, an absolutely wonderful start to the week. We have very, very welcoming of the sun that has decided to show the last few days. A nice break from all the rain that we've had. And uh, as we as we look at all these these blessings that have been talked about, as Eric talked and mentioned earlier, the blessings that we have, as we look at all these things, especially blessings like the right to to be able to come here and to worship God, as so many don't have that wonderful blessing to be able to worship God without a fear of of people busting those doors down, maybe having to hide in homes and in dark places where maybe we won't be seen. We don't have that fear. We can worship our Lord. In public, we can worship Him in front of all the world and, and, and don't have those same fears. We also have uh, blessings on, on other levels, on, on material levels, like this building that we have to, to shield us from the cold weather that we are experiencing outside right now. Uh, we have so many great things to be thankful for, so many great things to lift us up. And I hope that we will take all those thoughts, that we will take all those wonderful blessings and then we will apply those to our life outside of here. When we leave this place, when we go back into the world, when we go home, home to our friends and our family, I hope that we will encourage someone, maybe to come and to worship with us, or maybe to, to encourage someone that just simply really needs the encouragement. What I'm saying is I really hope that we will be a positive influence to others. I hope that we will be positive in our lives. And maybe right now you're maybe thinking, well, yeah, I can do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to be positive. Maybe I know someone that needs to hear this message. I know someone that, that I can help in some way. I can encourage them, and, and I'm going to do that. And right now, maybe you're feeling about 10 feet tall. But what happens when we walk through those doors back there? What happens when we go back out into the world? When we're back around our families and our friends, our coworkers? For many of us, I believe, at that point, we start to have... A, a inner dialogue with ourselves. We start to have this conversation with ourselves that most oftentimes leads to us squashing any chance of ever having that outer conversation, that external dialogue that we wish to seek or that we seek. This morning I want to talk about four different types of people. There are four different types of people in this world and whether you like it or not, more than likely you fall into one of these four categories that we're going to look at. Those categories are pessimists, pessimists, optimists, realists, and cynics. I want to briefly look at each one of these terms, study and examine what they mean, and then look at what manner of person we ought to be as Christians. First one I want to look at this morning is I want to look at the pessimist. A pessimist is one, a person who sees the worst aspect or believes the worst possible outcome will happen. It's a person that believes that no good can happen or can come from anything Ever. It's never going to happen. There's kind of people that have this attitude that looks at the world and says, this is a horrible, horrible place full of horrible people. It just continually gets worse, and there's just simply nothing that I can ever do to make it better. We've all met people like that. You know this person. It's the glass half-empty type of Christian. They're kind of like Jonah. They're kind of like Jonah. They want to sit up there on the hill and just sit back and say, it's a terrible place. I'm just going to watch and see what God does to it because that's, that's all that I can really do. Nothing's ever going to change. We shouldn't be too surprised to find that a person like this, a person with this attitude, is not going to do a lot of good for the kingdom. First of all, with that attitude, I'd ask the question, what would ever motivate you to do anything? What would ever motivate you to take any steps to tell someone about Jesus? 
to be an example, to lead, to encourage. But let's say somehow you do. Somehow you, maybe we'll call it a moral obligation. You feel like, well, the Bible says I have to do this and I just don't think it's going to be any any use at all, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to go out and and I'm going to tell someone about Jesus. Just what gleaming description of salvation do you think a person with this attitude is going to be able to convey to someone? Mr. Debbie Downer, you're really going to be able to to pick me up and give me the advice I need to know that's going going to really just charge me and make me want to be convicted to become a Christian. I don't think that's the kind of attitude that's going to really win souls for Christ. That's not the kind of attitude that we should try to be that we should be striving for. But I can hear it already. Maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, you're right. Pessimism, that's not the kind of attitude I have. But I'm not a pessimist. No, no, no. I'm I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. I'm a realist. I see things as they really are. A realist is one, really a realist is kind of like the hipster cousin of a pessimist. If you want to compare apples to apples, they're those that accept and view things as they really are. A person who accepts and views things as they tend to to, uh, examine the outcome of things. Realist tends to look at every single scenario and they decide for themselves how it's going to work out. What's going to happen at the end of that scenario? Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. We don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. Yes, there are things that are likely to happen, but we simply don't know how people are going to react, how things are going to work out in our lives. But people get in this mindset. Maybe it's like that person over there, they would never obey the gospel. Why? Because I know. I know that person over there. I know who they are. I know how they act. I'm not going to cast my pearls before that swine over there. Well, that's certainly something that's commanded in scriptures, not to cast your pearls before swine. But I'm afraid that if we are not careful, we will never cast our pearls at all. We will hold them up and store them up, never throwing them out, because to the realist, well, just about anybody can be a swine. Another attitude they sometimes have is, well, people are just going to be people. Nothing that can be done for that person. He's just always going to be that guy. He's always going to be that guy who's a liar. He's always going to be a cheater. That person's always going to just be a drunk. You name it. Whatever it is, that person's just always going to be that way. I'm not going to waste my time with them because, let's be real, I need to use my, my abilities where they're most useful. Let me ask you. What kind, of, or what kind of outcome would Corinth have had if Paul had been a realist? If Paul had been a, a realist, 1 Corinthians 6, verses, in a, verses 9 through 11, talks about what kind of place Corinth was. Passage that I know we've read several times, but we'll read again. In verse 9 it says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetousness, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. Paul could have went into this situation and said, look at these fornicators, idolaters, homosexuals. We're not talking about just liars and little what we might call a little sin. We're not talking about a little sin. We're talking about things that even today we would consider great big sins, big glaring sins, uh, thieves and drunkards, swindlers. These were the kind of people that were in Corinth. 
And Paul, he could have been a realist. He could have said, I'm not going to waste my time here. Look at all this swine. This is a bunch of really, really bad soil. And I've got perfectly good seeds. I'm not going to throw them in the thorn bushes. No, that was not the attitude that Paul had. And that's not the attitude that a Christian should have. We know whose power is in that seed. We may not know. We may think we know, but we, we don't really truly know what kind of soil that we're casting that seed on. But we know whose power is in it. We know that only God can do the increasing. And we have no place using our judgment on who is worthy of our time spent sowing. But there's another one beside a realist. There's another one who is just, I'm going to say, more dangerous than the realist, and that is the cynic. The cynic. The cynic is one who believes people are motivated by self-interest rather than by honorable reasons. A pessimist will see only bad in any situation. For example, two people get married. A pessimist might be tempted to say, well, half of all marriages end in divorce. Way to pick us up there, guys. The realist might look at that and go, well, he is a, is a workaholic. He works so hard, and she, she's, she's kind of needy. Every time I've been around this woman, she's real clingy, and, and they're, they're getting married. I don't foresee it working out. It's just not going to happen. I'm just being real here, guys. But the cynic questions every good deed done. A cynic would look at the situation and say, well, she only married him for his money. Maybe you look at him and say he's only interested in her good looks. A cynic will look at situations where maybe someone does something good. Someone does something like coming forward to confess something that they've struggled with. A cynic might look at that and say, well, they're just really looking for attention. Maybe it's someone who comes up habitually, constantly having the same problem, and they, they come forward and confess this all the time at services. A cynic might look at that and say, that person, they just, they just so needy for attention. What's so dangerous about this attitude Cynicism is that we begin to sit back and we begin to criticize everybody else's attempts to live a good life. Whether or not they're, they're actually for selfish reasons or not. That's completely outside the, uh, of the spectrum of, of, of our care. We sit back and we criticize and examine everyone else's attempts and we completely miss out on all sorts of opportunities to help others. Again, I look to Paul back in the Philippians in chapter 1. Paul is describing a situation that he was in where, where he knew. He knew people were doing things for the wrong reason. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 15, he says, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. Paul knew why these people were doing this. Maybe it was because they wanted the, the attention that he was getting. They wanted to be considered like the great apostle Paul. But for whatever reason, he knew they were preaching Christ for selfish reasons, and they were doing it to hurt him. But he goes on and says, The latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? What attitude should I have in this scenario? What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will 
rejoice. How did Paul have this attitude? Even when people were doing things that that were specifically meant to hurt him, they were doing things for the wrong reason, he still had this attitude that I'm going to rejoice about that. I'm going to be happy. I believe it's because Paul was an optimist. Someone who sees the good in every situation. A person who tends to feel hopeful and positive about future outcomes. Now optimists, optimists get a bad rep. And you may be someone, you ask someone today, say, why are you always so happy? You say, well, that's because I'm an optimist. Some people might be tempted to say, well, nah, maybe it's because you're stupid. Well, a lot of times we get that attitude about optimism. It's because people are optimists over foolish things. There is no, no doubt in my mind there are foolish optimists in this world today. Maybe it's the gambling addict who says, just one more roll of the dice, one more scratch off, one more time, one more dollar, and I'm going to strike it rich. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, just, I'm gonna hit the jackpot. Or maybe it's the alcoholic who thinks to himself, "One drink, yeah, I know, I know it's been, a, I, I've had a rough life, but one drink, I won't fall off the wagon. It'll be okay." Ultimately, it's the attitude that says, "Well, I can climb to the top of this building, and I can jump off, and I'm not gonna get hurt because nothing bad is ever going to happen to me." Yes, that's foolish optimism. And that's not what we see in the scriptures. We know better than that. That's not the kind of optimism that I attribute to Paul, though. Paul was optimistic in Christ. Remember, he knew others were preaching to hurt him in some way. The same way he probably knew that in Athens, at the Areopagus, that that there were going to be people that didn't have any concern for what he was saying, didn't care at all about God. In fact, they might even want to hurt him, want to kill him for what he was going to say. That didn't stop him because he was optimistic. Not that everything was going to be bubbly. Not that everything was going to be great. He was optimistic that God's will was being done. This is the kind of attitude as Christians we must have. We must have in regard to God's will. So let me ask you two questions this morning. I want to ask two questions and then the lesson will be yours. The first question is simply, are you positive? Are you positive? I want to give you three things that, that I think will help you if you, have, if you struggle with this. Or maybe you think you're pretty good with it. Maybe these things will help you be more positive in the future. Three things that help you be positive in Christ. The first one is you have to think positive. Sit down and make some goals for yourself. Sit down and look at a situation. Maybe you would be tempted to find the negativeness in it. Sit down and try to make a list of five things that are positive about it. Maybe you go, whoa. Five things? I can't come up with five things about a certain situation. Well, make that your goal then. Maybe start at one or two or three things and work up. But nonetheless, habitually, every day, try to think positive about things until you habitually look for the good in others without even trying. Consider Christ as your role model. Was he pessimistic? Was he pessimistic about the circumstances that he was under? When his friend betrayed him when his closest friends denied him and left him all alone the very people he came to save well they eagerly nailed him to a cross spat upon him humiliated him murdered him jesus didn't look at this and say you know what this is a waste of time and just a couple hundred years from now the church that i'm dying to establish 
It's going to fall into apostasy. They're going to start creating their own ideas of how it should be run. Not the ideas that, that I have set forth and that my apostles will set forth in the future. And in a couple thousand years from now, there are going to be tens of thousands of different sects of religions. And they're all going to claim to be me. They're going to be claimed to be the true way. And they're all going to teach completely different things. What is the point? That would be what many of us would be tempted to think today. It's pointless. Pointless to go through with this. But instead, Jesus chose to see what he was about to go through as God's will. And yes, it's obvious he wasn't looking forward to the punishment that he was going to go through physically. In Luke chapter 22 and in verse 42, he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. He wasn't looking forward to that. But what attitude did he have? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. We as followers of Christ should have this very, very same attitude. Maybe we feel nothing good is going to come from our actions. Maybe we feel like that person is never going to listen to what we have to say. Or maybe we feel like we, we can encourage that person, but they're just they're going to do what they've done every single time before. They're not going to listen. They're just going to be completely blind to the goodwill that I've shown them, and they're just going to take advantage of me. And we can be tempted to say, what is the point? But it's, let's think positive about these scenarios. Let's think like Christ thought and say, not my will, but God's will be done. In our scripture reading, we read 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. That passage says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We view this passage sometimes as our responsibility to others. And, and it is. There are things that, that set themselves up against, against Christ, against God. We have a responsibility to speak out. We have a responsibility to say something. And sometimes we take it so far that we say, well, we are going, we are called, we are demanded to just decimate every other thought that is not in obedience to Christ. And so we will go out in the world and we will condemn and we will argue and we will bicker till we're blue in the face. And that's taking that passage too far. But we certainly understand that we are. We are to be making a stand for Christ. And we are to be fighting against things that set themselves against Him. But let me suggest to you this morning that we will never be able to do that. We will never be able to do that if we don't first start in here, in our own hearts, applying this to our own thoughts. We must begin at a personal level. Every thought must be brought captive to the obedience to Christ. That means those thoughts that we have when we think it's no good. It's no good. That person's not going to listen. Bring that thought into obedience to Christ. The thought when we have, well, nobody is going to care about what I've done. Nobody is going to see the, the, the work that I've done, and so it's not going to make any difference in anybody's eyes, and I'm not going to do it. Bring that thought into obedience to Christ. The thought that says things just aren't going the way I think they should go. And I'm not happy about it. Bring that thought in obedience to Christ. We must think positive if we are going to be positive. But the next thing we need to do, this is a good start in thinking positive. We also need to remember that we should not let other people dictate the way we act. 
They shouldn't dictate our attitudes. Do you allow others to control your thoughts? You know, we, we've talked about alcohol and how, how we should abstain from it because we need to be sober-minded. And we get this idea with, with illegal drugs. We won't take drugs that are going to affect our mindset so that we can make pure thoughts and good decisions. But do we let other people control our thoughts? I want to suggest that you do. When you let other people cause you to feel anger, to cause you to feel resentment towards them, maybe it's because they've wronged you. Maybe someone has hurt you in some way. Don't allow that to control your thoughts and feelings. In fact, Jesus was trying to to give us a heads up on this back in John 16. In John 16 verse 33, he was saying, get ready. Be prepared because people are going to give you trouble. People are going to hurt you. He says in verse 33 of John 16, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Reminds me of Exodus chapter 23. In Exodus chapter 23 and verse 20, God is telling the Israelites, He says that I have made provisions for you. He tells His people He has made provisions for them and that He would guard them Along the way. Now we know this way that they had to go along was difficult. We know that they had to go through the wilderness and, and, and travel in harsh climates and to fight various adversaries that were tough. God was saying in all this, I will be with you. Don't let these situations bring you down. You're in the wilderness. You're so far from a home. You've left Egypt and the only place that you really knew before me. And now I'm asking you to come out and to follow me blindly and by faith. Don't let that situation bring you down and think, well, it's just not worth it. You go up against an adversary that is stronger than yourself and you're tempted to say, let's just turn and run. There's no good that can be done here. Don't let them control your attitude. I am with you. And similarly today, Jesus tells us the same thing. In John 14, verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. God was preparing and making provisions for his people in the Old Testament. (laughs) Jesus, likewise, is making provisions. He's preparing a place for us. And we are told that on our own, we cannot do this. We cannot do this by letting other people control us. We cannot do this by just trying to take control ourselves. But we need to let Christ take control. In John 15, in verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. I'm I'm reminded of Paul's words to the Philippians. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And again, that wasn't foolish optimism. He didn't believe that he could go jump off a cliff and somehow fly to safety. He understood it exactly as it was meant, exactly as we can understand it, that we can have a proper attitude. We can be optimistic about what's going on because it is not our power that controls this world. We can stop looking at things in a negative way and we can start seeing the power of the gospel. We can start seeing the power of God that He first shown to me throughout my conversions. That He first shown to you in your conversion, in your life. And it's a power that we must share with this world. No matter what we may be tempted to think of it. 
So we must think positive. And we can't let other people control how we act and how we feel. We must also forget that we should never stop praying. Whenever we are scared, whenever we think, well, someone's just not going to listen to God's message, whenever we question someone's motives for doing something, maybe that's even coming to Christ. Remember to pray. And don't say, well, well, okay, here's the scenario, and, and I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to say a prayer, and then if I come back and I'm presented with the scenario again, then I'll do something, because then we're going to miss our opportunities. We need to be preparing ourselves beforehand. But consider Nehemiah and the prayer that he led. In Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah chapter 2 and verses 1 through 5, It says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. And therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city and the place of my father's tombs lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire, then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, Nehemiah had to be tempted to feel pessimistic in this situation. He had to be tempted to be a realist in this situation. I am so far away from my people, separated from them, and they are in distress. The city... The city of my fathers is destroyed. The gates are burned. And he had to feel like, what can I do? What can I do? This is pointless. Maybe he thought I might as well just give up. Maybe start rubbing elbows with the the Babylonian Empire and I'll try to move up further here. I might as well just give up on that. But no, in chapter 1, we see him do something else. In chapter 1, we see him fasting. We see him praying. He he was going to God and he was getting himself ready. He was preparing himself for something that he would have to face in the future. Do we do that? There are many in this world who don't seem to care at all about God. They don't seem to care about his will, about what he would have for us to do. Do we just say, oh well, people are going to be people. Or do we ask God to prepare us to be useful to Him, to give us what we need to do what He has asked us to do. But that wasn't all Nehemiah was doing, was it? Yes, he was preparing himself, but when he was in the situation, when he was in front of the king, he again prays. He prays to God, and I don't imagine this was a long, drawn-out prayer. I believe this was one of those, here I go, Lord, be with me. This was a prayer where he probably, I imagine, said, ask God to guide His words. Or maybe he asked God to to steady his fears, to give him strength. Never forget the importance of these types of prayers. These short prayers to your father. I typically pray one of these almost every time before I get up here. Never forget how important these prayers are. Ask God to bless the heart you are speaking to. Ask God to give increase to the seed that you have planted, to the seed that you are watering. Never forget These three things, positive thinking, self-control over our attitude, and prayer, will help us to be more optimistic in our service to the Lord. But what if this morning you're still questioning whether whether it really matters? Does it really matter if you're not a very positive Christian? 
I have one last question I want to ask you. That question is, are you positive? Are you positive that Jesus is the Son of God? Are you positive that He has gone to prepare a place for you? And that one day, He is going to return. Are you positive that He'll be true to His words when He says, I am with you always? If you are, if you are truly positive about these things, then why could you ever feel anything but optimism? He overcame the temptations of the devil. He overcame death. And he, didn't, and he who did all this is your Lord. I can't help but feel anything but optimism when I think of who it is that I serve. Who is my head? Jesus Christ. So I am the vine, and you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Are you positive? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Sure about that. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to His purpose. Brothers and sisters, are you positive? Do you believe these things? Then show it. Show it through positive obedience to Him. Remember Paul's words to the Philippians. We read them just a moment ago. I'm going to read them again in the CEV. It says, but that doesn't matter. Talking about those who preach selfishly. He said, but that doesn't matter. All that matters is that people are telling about Christ. Whether they are sincere or not, this makes me glad. I will keep on being glad. This morning, can you say that you are one of the called? Have you accepted the invitation that Christ offers to become a child of God through obedience to His Word? If you have not yet accepted that invitation, then I must tell you that your sins separate you from God. Now I'm reminded of the words of a man much wiser than I am who once said, if you miss heaven, you have missed everything. No matter what you have in this life, no matter what your friends think of you, no matter the riches that you have in this world, no matter what that, that uh, any particular sin can promise to give you, if you miss heaven, you have missed everything. This morning I would implore you, don't let negative thinking cause you to miss it all. If this morning you know what you need to do to be saved, in just a moment you will be given that opportunity. You can come forward and we will baptize you into Christ and into His kingdom. And if you are unsure of what you need to be doing, then I, I, then I ask that you please don't leave this building this morning without first grabbing me and we can sit down and we can look at God's Word together and we can find out what you need to do. But maybe something has caused you to sin against God. Maybe you've already been saved and maybe it is something like a negative attitude. A negative attitude that has kept you back from what you need to be doing. This morning, don't let that negative attitude keep you back. We are all here to help one another. We all desire to help one another. If there is some way in which we can do so, won't you please let it be known now? Won't you come forward as we stand and sing?